All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The World According to Us. This is your man, your host, Steve Java, and um, today's episode is going to be more of a personal one. Um, Recent events in my life and in my family, um, my favorite uncle, Uncle Michael, had passed away um, earlier this this spring of 2023. And similar to my dad, I was not able to see him uh, when he passed. He was living with uh, one of my cousins at the time and lived out the last of, I guess the last 10, 12 years with her and her family. Um, we recently had a memorial service, or I should say impromptu. No, it's not even the right words to use. Forgive me. Got a lot of things on my mind, but needless to say, I was notified through family that we were going to have a memorial service uh, to say goodbye to our dear beloved Uncle Michael and to share our memories and thoughts about him and his life and the impact that he had on us. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I've mentioned it previously in uh, prior episodes where I let it be known that I am the son of immigrant parents to America who immigrated here from both Ghana, West Africa and Guyana, South America. My uncle Michael was from Guyana and he was just like my father, a rare breed of a man, both brilliant, hardworking, dedicated, loyal to family, but also flawed and cynical and funny. And in a lot of ways, like Socrates, he was able to take a proverbial mirror and hold it up to whoever he was speaking to and force you to kind of analyze yourself, analyze how you thought, how you saw the world. We saw things that were happening. And at the same time, he was also a deeply religious man. Or I should say spiritual. In the sense that he is Christian and believed in the Most High God and Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As did my father. Um, there are a lot of things that happened in his life. Some good, some bad, some indifferent. But I'll always remember the very early impressionable years of me growing up and at times uh, being babysat by 
our cousins and being picked up from my Uncle Michael's apartment, which um, his daughters lived with him while he was at work. And we'd come home in the evenings, usually around 7, 7.30, like clockwork. He would be home. And after a long day's work, all he wanted to do was sit down, eat his dinner, and watch the local news. <laughs> um, the reason why I'm doing this episode is because this memorial service that we as a family, or really part of the family anyway, on my Uncle Michael's side, uh, we had it this past weekend on Saturday after a reschedule. And pretty much everybody who was in attendance via Zoom, with the exception of a handful of people, myself among them, was given an opportunity to eulogize our dear departed and beloved Uncle Michael. Um, it was very telling that out of everyone there, I was ignored and not allowed to give my memories and thoughts on my uncle's passing and his life and the memories that I had of him for whatever the reason. I'm not going to go into that um, in this episode, but what I will say is that after a few days to sit with it, um, I decided that I could not let any more time pass and not say what my Uncle Michael meant to me, the impact on my life that he had. Um, there are many moments in my life that I remember when my Uncle Michael was giving me words of wisdom or showed me a different perspective by pointing out uh, weaknesses or things that I hadn't considered in my thought process when arguing a particular point. Um, I remember once him telling me, he says, you know, Steve, and, um, being that big and have a lot of that muscle is not really very good for you, for your, your frame. And at the time, you know, you're a young man coming up, coming into your own. You you look at that and you, and you, you hear it and you think, man, you must be a hater. <laughs> right? Like, who are you to tell me about having muscle or too much muscle or muscle mass? But he was not coming from a place of jealousy or envy he was legitimately expressing something that he knew to be a fundamental truth about the human body naturally working out um not using steroids and maintaining a frame that had strength had man manhood muscularity masculinity, everything you would think a young man 
should have and possess as he's growing and getting stronger and exercising and all of that. But his focus was not on the superficial or on just the aesthetics alone. He taught me and my younger brother about how your health was directly tied to your diet and how foods could heal you. And taking care of yourself was and should be a priority. But that did not mean you went overboard and overloaded your skeletal muscular frame with superfluous amounts of uh, muscle because as you get older, it becomes a burden. It becomes something that can hinder and harm you to have too much muscle. And we only have to look at extreme cases like the pro bodybuilders and legends of the past and today, such as Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ronnie Coleman, more of an actual real cautionary tale there because we can see the effects of having too much muscle mass as you get older. Um, a lot of these guys who bodybuild and took supplements and steroids ended up dying very young. They achieved their dream, but at what price? And so things like that, I always remember my uncle telling me and looking at it as a young man and now as a, a Gen Xer who's hitting, you know, the midlife point, reflecting back then, everything he said make, makes total sense. He was telling the truth. Um, there are times where we had political discussions and we would talk politics and we would talk about what today most people would call conspiracy theories about, you know, private elite groups trying to control the world and uh, sabotaging people. And he said, Stephen, you don't think that there are multiple groups of people who align and do all these things they're doing because of mutual shared self-interest? I didn't really think about it like that. I always thought, no, these are people who just have joined with the devil and they have these packs, they have these cults and things that they're doing in unison. Not that it could just also be people who are acting in concert out of their own greedish or greedy self-interest. Um, I'll miss the many conversations that I watched him and my father have where they would debate each other. I mean, vociferously each one like a high level chess match bringing points to each other and attacking the foundational points of each other's arguments to see who would bend first uh, i think that a lot of my natural inclination toward debate and towards uh truth and towards um persuasion or showing somebody a different perspective and breaking down why people think the way they think. I think I got a lot of that from these two great men that were in my life and I was fortunate to have. Um, I remember at one particular time, a uh, circumstance that my uncle told me about that you know, resonated deeply because we had a shared life experience of being, you know, robbed. Um, 
And I think it happened to my uncle several times in the Bronx coming home from a long, hard day's work. He was not a type of man who would wear gaudy jewelry or any jewelry as far as I knew. Um, he was very humble. He wore the basics, you know. He wore his, his pants for work. He wore dungarees or blue jeans or, um, you know, a jacket. Like the common average person. He didn't look high fashion at all. And he was not interested in impressing anybody. Um, and that didn't stop him from getting robbed several times, uh, at, at least at gunpoint on at least two occasions from what he told me. I had a similar situation happen when I was um, working for summer youth. And of course, at that time, you're very young, you know, this is like your one of your first jobs. I think I was 14 years old. And I had worked for, I think it was the parks department or something. I got a job doing summer youth doing that, cleaning up the parks, which was a boring and tedious job. But I did it to get my first taste of earning some money. And foolishly, the summer youth program here in New York City decided that they wanted to publish the fact that the summer youth program was paying the summer youth their first paychecks at a, I'm not going to say the name of the public school, but in the public school in the Bronx on a particular Friday. Now, while they do that, they make sure to tell us that they don't want us to cash our checks in the area when we receive them from the school, to, to leave that area. If you get robbed for your check, they're not replacing it. So they highly encourage you not to stay in the area, not to linger, get out of there and deposit it in a bank account or cash it in your neighborhood. And that was something that was very important because they knew that a lot of crooks, a lot of criminals, predators who were waiting in those uh, impoverished and crime-ridden neighborhoods would be waiting like wolves for us to come out of there unsuspecting and steal our hard-earned money from us, which they had no intention of reimbursing us for if it should happen. Now, me and a childhood friend of mine, we had decided at that time, okay, they're advertising that. They're giving us a warning, a general warning. Why would you even advertise that in the first place? But I digress. We decided we're not going to put our checks just in our pants pockets for any reason. We're not even going to act like we had checks. So we put our, our paychecks in our shoes and we only came with the, the bus money to go back home. Maybe a little bit, maybe a couple dollars more for like a snack or something. And foolishly, when I look back on hindsight, uh, we made this decision to stop at a convenience store to get like a juice or some snacks or whatever on the way to the bus stop. And I noticed a couple of people hanging out in front of the, the convenience store at the time when we went in. But like I said, I didn't have much money on me. I had just enough to take the bus and maybe get like a quarter water and some, some cookies or something. My friend did about the same. So we leave the store. But I got this eerie feeling right after we left the store from the looks I received when we first walked in. 
So we're walking a little bit quicker down the street. And this is in broad daylight, mind you, on a Friday. I keep feeling like somebody is like watching and now they're like following us. So we keep walking, keep walking. And all of a sudden, before, just as I got that feeling, that real pang of like danger, almost like the spider sense tingling. I turned over my shoulder just in time to see these two guys run up on us. And these guys were probably like like late teens. I would say like 18, 19 years old, maybe even 20. And they push us up against the car. They started going through our pockets looking for money, looking for checks, I guess. But of course, you know, when you're robbing somebody, sometimes your adrenaline is going, you don't have time to think like rationally, like you plan this out. So of course they didn't think to take our shoes because we're kids, you know, they just figured, oh, whatever money they have will be in their pockets, we'll get something. But it shows you the level of depravity and also maybe desperation for you to rob 14 year old kids in broad daylight. Now, mind you, there were other adults who were around who saw us getting robbed. And from what my friend at the time, Bruce, told me, because he was the other person, the other friend with me, he started to try to resist. And I told him, just give up your wallet. It's no sense in fighting over that. We can replace it. And he was like, well, let me get my ID out the wallet at least. And I was like, Bruce, just give him your damn wallet. We don't, we're not trying to get harmed over a few bucks. Needless to say, the guy got, I think, a dollar seventy-five from me. I don't know how much he got from my friend Bruce, but Bruce stopped struggling with him once he says the guy flashed the gun. So after they robbed us, they took off running down the street. And just about a few seconds later, a couple of adults come running over to us to ask us if we're okay. And... I just remember looking at them in shock, like, did that just happen? And if you were watching, why didn't you come over and help us sooner? But who's to say they might have thought it might have been a setup. And if they came to help, maybe they would have been robbed or shot or something. I don't know. I just know the impact of that experience happening and to know that my uncle Michael had suffered similar, but not as a child, as a grown man multiple times it was in a way i guess i felt like it was a rite of passage or as messed up as that sounds um now um there's a lot more i want to say so i'm gonna take a short break and be right back and we're back from that short break so continuing um, remembering my uncle Michael, I remember later after I'd gone away to college and returned home, he was a single man, never remarried, and his children were also grown and out of the house and had gone on to start their lives. And I think that his job, his dedication to that job um, was all that he had at that time. I think he looked forward to getting up every morning, getting dressed, getting to work, and working his job 
and doing above and beyond to show his worth and his value to the company that employed him. And for many years, I think that he was overlooked, underpaid, underappreciated, and he was in disbelief that a company could show the level of disrespect or indifference to somebody who had given them so many years of his life in service and in professionalism and in high quality work and ethics and character. Uh, my dad was the same. So I think that's why they were in a sense, even though they were not related by blood, they were pretty much like brothers. Um, I think that the things that kept him going began to wane. Um, he would always talk to me about, you know, his health and CPK levels and things like affected your autoimmune and skin issues and how in one particular instance, I remember he was frustrated because, you know, he said, you know, he reads the Bible, he believes in God and Jesus Christ and what it says, but he was upset and he was frustrated because he had lost some teeth and he said he had believed and believed that whatsoever you ask for in Jesus' name, that he would receive it. And he had been believing that he would receive his teeth. And he didn't get it. And he was very annoyed and very frustrated. And it was causing him to doubt his beliefs. And I remember feeling sad about that for him. Because I said, this is a humble, God-fearing, hard-working loyal man who really, really and truly wanted to believe wholeheartedly everything that he asked for, he would receive. But I think that, you know, there was some flaws somewhere in that kind of reasoning about, you know, grown men losing adult sets of teeth and thinking that they would be regrown, you know. Anyway, Uncle Michael was, at a certain point, I remember, like, the decline of his habitation got to a point where he wasn't concerned with upkeep so much. And so, I think that because he only had really two places, or maybe three, but I think really only two places that were consistently a place of ref refuge for him from the day-to-day. -day. One being leaving his apartment and going to work and working those long hours and coming home just long enough to eat, sleep, shower, get up and do it again. And then that one day of the week on Sundays, he would come over to our, our house in the other side of the Bronx and he would spend Sundays with us. 
And for those few hours that he did come over and spend time with us, I really, initially I was surprised. I was like, why is Uncle Michael coming over? He wasn't doing that before. But I think for him and for us, it was a respite from going back to an empty, dark, uh, not as well-kept as it should have been apartment and, you know, a depressed, gloomy environment. I don't know what kind of uh, uh, deterioration and family bond may have happened with his children, but he saw us, I guess, as at least some sort of a glimmer of light and peace and comfort and family when his own were nowhere near to be um, near to him at that time. Um, yeah, I remember those Sundays like yesterday. I remember him coming over on Thanksgiving Day, <clears throat> both him and my dad. And again, we'd have our lively debates. We'd talk a little bit about sports, more about politics. And my uncle and my dad would debate each other. And we would just crack up at the fact that Uncle Michael would say things deliberately he knew to provoke a response from my dad where he could laugh at his frustration and zeal in trying to respond and vice versa. I mean, the two of them truly were um, birds of the same feather in, in a lot of ways. Ghana and Guyana and... It was great those times because humble beginnings recognized humble beginnings. Hard work recognized hard work. Finding humor in things that weren't always funny and valuing above all else the family that you had around you, even when other members were far away. Um, I remember once... My mom told me a story about um, one early period in their lives where um, my mom didn't have turkey to make for Thanksgiving dinner. And she was just going to cook some vegetables or something, whatever they had, and we were going to have that for Thanksgiving. And somehow, through some miraculous way, she had prayed that God could, you know, make a miracle happen for Thanksgiving. And he did. And it just so happened that I think either I think on my Uncle Michael's job for they were giving away um turkeys to employees. And he happened to get a big turkey given to him and was able to bring that to my mom to who was shocked because it's like she had no plans on cooking the turkey because she didn't have any turkey, didn't have any money for turkey. And yet here he was, my uncle, bringing over a turkey, and that turkey, my mom, worked her magic. I'm talking about this is something that today's generations probably don't understand or see enough of when you have all this fast food in your face. But when I was growing up, 
especially coming from the household I came from where your parents knew how to cook. And my mom, she cleaned that turkey, took out all the gizzards, the innards, washed it in and out, marinated it. And we had turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. And I never forgot that story because of the connection, because of the story my mom told me of a miracle happening and my Uncle Michael being a part of that. Um, this was a selfless and a giving man. I remember many times as a young adult, and just in passing, my mom would tell us how, you know, our uncle is working so hard and his his daughter, some of them would be constantly calling for help, for financial assistance. And whatever he had, he would give to them to help them. Never thought of asking for anything back in return, but just doing what he felt he was obligated to do as a man, as a father, to help his children who were asking for help. And my father, George Java, was the same way. Um, in spite of everything, because none of us is perfect, you know, they, they were extremely valuable and sorely missed men in our lives and in our family's lives. Um, later on, at a certain point, my uncle was no longer able to stay as he was getting older, up in age, into his 70s, um, in that apartment. And I guess his, one of his daughters um, was dealing with situation with her family somewhere out in the Midwest, I guess. And they decided that it would be mutually beneficial for him to go live with her and her family and get him out of that apartment that he could no longer remain in. Um, they gotten that bad where even going to visit him at certain points, he would not even really want to open the door to let us see just how bad it had gotten. And I was never, uh, that was never lost on me to see the decline and the depression and how bad things had to have gotten for him not to even want his family to come over to see how he was living. Um, so he went... And then we found out later on, we didn't know that um, he was diagnosed with diabetes. And I think he had either several toes or a foot amputated. And that was hard to fathom because my uncle was always a man that even if he was slower moving at that time, he was never a fat, out of shape, sloppy person. But he was definitely, you know, able to walk and get around. And I can't even imagine what that must have been like for him to lose one of his limbs and have to be dependent on other people. You know, when you're independent and you're strong and you're fit, you, you take for granted that ability because it allows you to do so many other things. And we know it as a man in this society, if you're not useful, you're, you're deemed worthless and you're forgotten about or cast aside or blamed for your misfortunes. So if you don't have family, what happens to you? Um, 
Yeah, right up until his passing. I mean, I we saw him until he moved away. He would come over, like I said, every every Sunday or every other Sunday whenever he could. I felt up to it. And so we obviously also, as we grew, moved on in different directions to start our own lives. And um, that was the end of Sundays. Sundays with Uncle Michael, with Mom and the rest of my family that was there at the time. Um, I'm going to miss Uncle Michael's humor. His wit was something uh, rare to behold. And his insight, his wisdom, the fact that he loved to sing. And he, I mean, he could sing like like the old-time country Guyanese um, it's hard to describe for people who are just, you know, from America. If you've never heard um, older Guyanese people singing and wholeheartedly with their whole soul in glorifying and worshiping uh, the Most High. Um, it gives you chills. Didn't have to have the most perfect voice. But he sang with reverence and respect, with purpose and with zeal and genuine joy to express whatever was on his heart and whatever he was feeling in admiration and gratitude to God, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So these are just some of the things. There's so much more. But um. I'll just say that he was like a second dad and the solace that I take from knowing that he's gone on ahead as my father has is that we will see each other again one day in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, with God the Father. So I want to thank... Um, all of the listeners who've uh, managed to stay on this this long listening to this eulogy um, in this episode. Um, I hope that this, this uh, in some way, if you're experiencing anything similar, will give you some sort of uh, a peace of mind to know that we all go through things. Uh, family is important and above all else to know and have God and have Jesus Christ in your life because without him you can do nothing and with him you can do everything um, Uncle Michael you're loved you're missed but I know I'll see you again and so I'll say uh, rest in power and until we meet again love you and take care everyone else um this has been your man your host steve jobber for the world according to us if you like this episode this eulogy or any of the previous episodes uh like share subscribe and until next time Stay blessed, stay braid up, take care.